0: Well, this weekend, I want to speak a message on uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Okay, And uh, this parable, of course, is more also commonly known as the parable of the 11th hour worker. And I want to direct our attention to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to verse 16. It's going to come up on the slides, but I like to read these uh, verses to us. So if you just tag along with me as we consider this parable this uh, morning. It says in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will, uh, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those uh, came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. And when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, "'Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your evil, is your eye evil because I am good?' So the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen." Now this is a familiar parable for many of us, for most of us, actually, if we have been a Christian for a number of years. But I wonder if you've ever read this parable and kind of stumbled over it, kind of like ever thought in in yourself and uh, to yourself, hey, there's something quite not right with this parable. Hey, something in this parable, not fair, ever even thought to yourself then if that's the case, why work so hard? After all, everybody's reward is going to be exactly the same. Better still, people are thinking it's better that I come in the 11th hour rather than the first hour because I only need to work one hour and I get the same, right? Now, if you've ever thought this like this, I want to congratulate you. You're not alone. I've thought so many times myself, okay? And the reason we think so is because we often identify ourselves with the first-hour worker and, uh, and we have adopted their perspective. And so it clouds our view of what this parable really seeks to drive across to us. Now again, I want to say this in order for us to clarify our ability to understand and to observe what Jesus is wanting to communicate, we first need to note several things concerning this parable. The passage begins with Jesus telling us exactly what the parable is going to be about. In verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like for the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, this parable is going to give us a description of how God's realm works. Now, you've got to understand this, that God's realm works very, very differently from how this world would function. And our aim as Christians is to bring a piece of heaven onto earth. Amen. Our desire is that wherever we go, we would manifest God's kingdom here upon the earth. And that's what makes this parable important because if we want to bring God's uh, kingdom on the earth, then we better be aligned to the value system and to the way the kingdom of God functions. Amen. Now, the next thing that we need to consider is the structure of this parable. Now, again, over the last couple of months if I've taught concerning uh, the parables that Jesus spoke, you will begin to realize that when Jesus gives parable, there's an internal structure in almost every parable that Jesus gives to us. And there's no difference in this parable. In fact, I want to show you it in diagrammatic form so that it's easier for you to observe the pattern of how this parable is constructed. Now, again, this parable follows a mirroring pattern whereby There's a repetition of events that that comes to a climax right in the middle of the parable. So let's consider this parable. In verses 1 and verses 2, we begin with this thought that it is early in the morning, the first hour, and there were people looking to be hired, and workers were hired. An agreement was entered into one denarius for a day's work. In verse 3 to verse 5, we observe the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour, in which workers were again hired, and justice was promised. The landowner say, I will give you what is right. And then in verses 6 and 7 comes the eleventh hour, and again, one more time, workers were being hired." Verse 8 is the climax of this whole parable, and we observe three things that were distinctive in this climax. Number one, that there is the appearance of a steward. Out of nowhere, this person shows up who's a steward. The second thing is that the wages were going to be distributed, and the word that is used here is a living wage was to be given. And finally, we are told the order in which the wages will be dispersed, and it's a very unusual order. And now in verse 9, we begin to see the mirroring of what has happened in the previous verses. And verse 9, it's the 11th hour worker who shows up first and they are paid. And they were paid one denarius each, right? In verses 10 and verses 12, we then observe the 3rd, 6th, and ninth hour workers being paid and justice uh, which was promised. And now there is a justice that is demanded by those who came from the first hour. In verse 13, finally, uh, there is evening that has come and, uh, you know, and the, the landowner clarifies things and says to the first hour workers, hey, our agreement was one denarius and we have kept the agreement. So the mirroring is that there was agreement uh, uh, agreed and now there is agreement that is being kept and verses 14 to verses 16 is the final conclusion. Now with this structure in mind, with this pattern that we see here, let us now plunge into this parable and explore it in detail. The first concern I want to bring to us is the landowner. I want to bring our attention to this person who is the central figure of the whole parable. He is the focal point. He is the landowner. And I want to say this, he is where our attention should be upon and not upon the workers. When we focus on the workers, we miss the point of this parable and we end up with all the wrong conclusions. Now, if there's something of a principle that we can draw from here, it is simply this, that the landowner, obviously, is a picture of God the Father. Amen? And there's something about this parable that our attention should be on the landowner. Likewise, our attention and our focus should always be upon God. And when we move our attention away from God and we place the gaze upon ourselves, we will always end up missing the point. We got to get our eyes on the Lord all the time. You know, last week I was speaking at our biggest site and at the end of the service there was a lady who came up to me I knew I know this lady well and she said to me Pastor Lip I have a word from the Lord for you and she gave me the word and she said your confidence in the future is based on God's faithfulness to you in the past Your confidence in the future is going to be based upon God's faithfulness to you in the past. And when she said this, something just clicked inside of me. You see, so many of us, we worry about the future. As we start 2023, I don't know if there is concerns that you have for the future. If you're paying mortgage, interest rate is going up month by month. Amen. The Ukraine war is still going on. There is recession that we are being faced with. Inflation is all-time high. You know, and we're concerned about how things ahead are going to turn out. We're concerned as to whether our efforts today will be rewarded tomorrow. We worry in our workplaces if we will be fairly dealt with. Yet to do so, I want to say this, is futile. Amen. When we put our eyes on ourselves and we become concerned about the future, I'm telling you this, there will be no peace that will come to you. But instead, what is better is to look back at the faithfulness and at the character of God. Can I testify before all of you today that in my life, God has been more than just to me. Amen. As this lady gave me this word, I begin to recall all the times that God has been faithful to me, the troubles that I've went through, the difficulties and the trials that I've had to endure. And I'm telling you, there were many times in my life I thought that I would not make it through that trial and yet God somehow has pulled me through it. God has comforted me me in times of, you know, uh, travail and difficulty. He's come through for me over and over again. And let me tell you this, God has given me a good deal, such a good deal that I'm not deserving of. You see, when I gaze upon the Lord, I see a faithful and good God. And the strange thing is that the more I keep my gaze upon Him, the more the future doesn't seem to matter as much. I don't seem to have to worry about the future anymore. I'm not concerned about the promotion or the reward or the opportunities or even the trials or the difficulties that are coming because my eyes is fixed upon the person that has come through for me over and over again. And I wanna encourage us that that is the first thing I wanna bring your attention to. The parable is about the landowner. Your life story is about God, amen. And that's the thing, the first thing that we need to see. The second thing we need to notice is that this landowner goes out five times. We are told in the parable that the landowner went out to hire workers in the first hour, in the third hour, in the sixth hour, in the ninth hour, and finally again at the eleventh hour. This is five trips to the town square, to the marketplace where, you know, uh, from where his property was situated. Now, let me remind us again, in the days of Jesus, there were no automobiles. Amen. This is not like us going downstairs to the nearby grocery shop or the mini-mart and buying something that is missing in our homes. It's not. It requires some kind of a journey of a distance for us to reach to the town square. And that's what this man took. That's what this landowner might have taken him half an hour to walk there. Might have taken him 45 minutes or an hour to make that journey from where his property was right to the town square where the workers were waiting to be hired. Now at the same time, in the climax of this parable, there is the appearance of this steward, right? And and this indicates something strange. Why wasn't the steward sent to hire the workers? If the landowner indeed had a steward in the first place, then surely it was not the landowner's job to go hire the workers. It was the steward's job to make the way, the long trip into the town square and to hire those workers. Now, let me paint for you the situation of what is happening here so that you can better grasp what's going on. In the days of Jesus, rich landowners would hire daily wage workers, especially during harvest time or during sowing time, where additional labour is required. And what happens is that the work, uh, these workers obviously didn't hold down permanent jobs. They were dependent upon these daily work that came to provide for themselves. And, you know, and there, was obvious, there were obviously much more workers available than there were jobs that were available. Now what happens is that these workers would gather together in a specific place in town early in the morning and the stewards of all these different properties and landowners would show up in the morning and they will pick off the workers that they want to hire. And if these workers perform well in their job, maybe before the day ended, the landowners would say, hey, would you like to come back and work tomorrow? And the opportunity to return the next day until the harvest is fully brought in. Now, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine that if you were there and you didn't hold a job and every day's uh, income, you know, depends on whether you get hired. Imagine the anxiety of these men that were gathered in the town square looking for employment because this would determine whether they're going to be able to put food on the table to feed the family in the evenings. Imagine the anguish also of those who see others being chosen and being given jobs and they were left behind without a job. The imminent disappointment of having to walk all the way back home to the hungry mouths and to tell them that I didn't find a job today. There is no income for today. Right, and at the same time, please note this, the stewards would always know very well how many workers they needed each day. And they would hire exactly the number of workers that they would need early in the morning. No sensible steward would return several times through the, through the day to hire more labourers because it doesn't make sense. You want to get a full day's work in. If you needed 10 workers, you get all 10 and let them work through the day. You never return back hiring in drips and in drabs. The question to be answered then is this, why did the landowner take on the hiring of the workers personally? Why did he send the steward? And then why did he return four other times to hire additional workers? Now, the only logical conclusion we can give is that the landowner felt a sense of acute compassion such that he wanted to personally come and give employment to those people who are in need. This landowner somehow felt something towards the people in the town and he saw these people that were in need. And the reason he came back four other times is because as he took some of these men to go work in his vineyard, he looked back and he saw others who looked longingly at him, hoping that they would be hired. Something tugged at his heart. And so three hours later, he walks all the way back to the town square to see if those men had been hired. And he saw others they were not hired. His heart was moved and he says, Would you come work for me? Let me tell you this, the landowner didn't need more workers in this situation. He was moved by compassion and each time he knew he was leaving some of them behind who had yet found employment and therefore he returned over and over again to check if they had found employment with other landowners instead. The landowner was moved by compassion. He returned four times, not because he needed more workers, but because he wanted to help as many people as he could by giving them the dignity of work and employment and the chance to provide for their families. Now, if you you know, all this points to some amazing thing about this owner. Just imagine the generosity of this man who came personally five times, each time returning over and over again. Now, let me... Let me explain this to you. The first hour is 6 a.m. in the morning, right? I wonder how many of us show up to work at 6 a.m. in the morning. The third hour is 9 a.m. The sixth hour is 12 p.m. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. And the eleventh hour is 5 p.m. Now, it makes sense that if you are seeking employment, to get up as early as you can and to be the first there in the town square at 6am. It makes sense, you know, because you want to be there early so that the opportunities come in, in, in case there are others who are late, that you become the first to be picked. Now, it also makes sense that if you are not picked in the sixth, at 6am, maybe you'll stick around till 9am, 9, 9 hoping that maybe there are other work that might suddenly surface and people will come back looking for additional workers. Perhaps by 12 p.m., some would still stay on, but I want to guarantee you this, by 12 p.m., most of the people would have gone home. What prospect is there? What expectation? How much more 3 p.m.? Who would stick around till then? And much worse, at 5 p.m., I don't think anybody would remain until that time. In fact, for those who remain past 9 a.m. right up to 6 p.m., they must be quite desperate. Their needs must be dire. And the landowner returned, particularly at these late hours because he knew that the most desperate ones could be found by then. He came back because there was a need. He knew that those that he found would be those who will be in most need of his charity and of his generosity. You see, but by focusing, by all of us focusing on the landowner in this parable, what we are seeing is we are seeing a picture of God the Father. Do we not now begin to see this parable as with different eyes? Do we not begin to realize that this parable is not really about the workers, but it's about God? Do we not realize that this parable is painting for us above all a picture of God's compassion for us, for those who are desperate, for those who are willing, and then God coming, not just sending an angel, but God coming personally on the earth through His Son, Jesus Christ, to reach out to every single one of us. You see, this parable is intricately tied to what God is doing. God did not send a representative. He came personally to seek out the most desperate. Jesus came in person, and this is what the full picture of this parable paints for us. Amen. The next thing that is included in the climax is the wage, right? You know, a wage that is given equally to every single person. In our economy-driven mindset, what we do is that this mindset stands in contrary to the kingdom mindset. And that is why when we look at this parable, you know what? Oftentimes we look at it and we cry, not fair, right? Those who work 12 hours should be paid more than those who work 9 hours. And of course, 6 hours, 3 hours, or 1 hour. How can, how can everyone get the same wage? Now, if you are a business owner, and this is your employment policy, those who come in, you know, and... 5pm and work one hour, will get the same wage as those who come in at 6am. I think you're going to have a little bit of a problem. Amen. But you see, when we approach the things of God with a works driven mentality, we will never ever be able to celebrate the generosity of the landowner. Let me be very clear here, no one in this parable, in this scenario was underpaid. One denarius is the norm for one full day of work. Twelve hours of work demanded a pay of one denarius. In this parable, every single worker, there's not one of them who were underpaid. But I tell you what, there were those who were overpaid. Amen? Let me put it another way. Justice was never compromised in this parable. MOM cannot be called in to say that there's unjust... Uh, remuneration process because everybody was fully paid. Nobody was denied a full day's wages. But what happened is that on top of that, there is a grace that is manifested. And this grace was manifested to the first hour workers as well because they found grace when they were chosen by the landowner in the first place so that they can be given employment. This grace was again manifested to those who came in the third hour, the sixth hour and ninth hour and especially to those who came in the 11th hour because they were all given a chance to work. Even if it was for just one hour that all of them could then go back home to their families and produce a full day's wage and provide for their families. You see, the truth is this, none of us deserves salvation. But the grace of God has come to every single one of us. Why then do we still compare with one another? Why is it that after a while as Christians, we begin to look at each other and we say, you know, I'm more deserving of this. Why is this person given this opportunity and I'm not? Why is this person blessed in this way and and I'm not? And I'm telling you this as Christians, if we cry unfair or we think that we we are entitled to something more, then we are amiss we have become exactly like the first hour workers because we have failed to understand that we are all equally recipients of God's grace and God's mercy. Amen. And I hope that as we consider this parable this weekend, that something will change in the way which, in which we value our, you know, in which we evaluate our, our circumstances and our situation. If you're in a workplace, if you're in a situation at home or whatever it might be, where in your heart you're crying, unfair, I want to tell you this parable is meant for you. Having realized what the landowner has done for every single one of us, there is no place for us to cry unfair whatsoever. Amen. Finally, the last point I want to bring to us is this little line, the last shall be first, and then first shall be last. Amen. And this is found in verse uh, 16. So the last will be first and the first last. Now, as you examine the order in which the disbursement of the wages were being executed, you got to realize this, the landowner instructed that those who came last would be paid first. Eleventh hour workers were paid first, and then the ninth hour, the sixth hour, the third hour, and finally the first hour. Now, if I was the landowner, I would tell the landowner, you know, you have done it wrong, and I would never have done it this way. It is a foolish way to do it. Because I'm telling you this, if I was the landowner, I will pay those who came in the first hour first. Collect their one denarii, leave. They will never know what I pay the rest of them. By, do, by reversing the order, the landowner was intentionally provoking a controversy. He didn't do it by mistake. He did it intentionally because there's something that he was trying to provoke. Now, this little phrase here, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, can I say this? is a favorite tagline of my kids. They like to use this a lot, Right? They like to use it to manipulate their brothers. Hey, first shall be last, last shall be first. Huh? so let me go first. Yeah, they're, they're. Or maybe they're competing in something. We play Monopoly and the, one of them comes in last and he says, oh no, last is first, first, last. So I'm the winner. They have this way of compensating for what they're going through, right? But the thing is this, as adults, right, do we really understand what it means? This little phrase that's being used, the last shall be first and the first, last. Or do we fail to understand as, as Do we fail to understand this phrase as well? Do we misuse this phrase as well? Now, I want for us to consider this, that specifically in this parable, this phrase is a reference to the methodology that was being applied to surface the issues of the heart in the first hour worker. Because the landowner paid the last first, and he paid the first last, the heart issues of those who came earlier were surfaced. It was brought out, the grumbling The jealousy, the sense of unfairness, you know, the sense of entitlement, all these things were brought out because of this methodology that was being applied to them. By paying them last, they saw how the others were remunerated and caused the first hour workers to grumble and to complain. Now, when others are honoured above us, when they are treated better, when they are rewarded and acknowledged more than us, when though we came first, and we serve longer, and we sacrifice more, then I want to tell you when something like that happens in your life, you need to know that this principle is being applied. Now, this year is 2023. I came to Cornerstone in 1993, 30 years. I've been full-time 22 years. Some of my colleagues who sit here with me, you know, how long have you been in staff, uh, on staff, uh, Tim? Two years? Three years? I, uh, Sit down. Don't talk so much. (laughs) And I'm saying that that's the attitude that oftentimes we have, isn't it? The longer you've been around, the more you feel that you're entitled to speak, the more you feel that you're more qualified than others. And every time someone younger than you, someone newer than you, someone less experienced is being promoted, I want to tell you this principle of the first shall be last, this last shall be first, is at work. And it's a principle to surface the issues of our hearts. Amen. You see, when the first hour workers were chosen at 6 a.m. in the morning, I'm telling you this, their hearts were filled with gratitude. They came early in the morning, the landowner chose them, and they were like, oh, I got a job for the day. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Their hearts would be so thankful, and they, are, they go into the vineyard, they begin working, and there's probably a song on their lips, and they're praising God. Oh, I'm going to be able to provide for my family. But you see, after a full day's work, as the sun comes up, as they continue doing into the 6th hour, the 8th hour, the nine, 10, 12 hours, the generosity that experience from the landowner suddenly now becomes overshadowed by their own sense of entitlement. This is the danger that every single one of us face the longer that we are as Christians and the longer that we are serving the Lord. And this parable is given to us to remind us to ensure that we don't lose sight of God's generosity to us. is to remind us that we don't lose the sense of gratitude and thankfulness and to miss the character and the nature of God who is generous and who is loving, who is full of charity and love. And we end up becoming a grumbler instead of retaining that attitude of thankfulness. Amen. When I came into full-time, I'm telling you, 22 years ago, when I came into full-time, it was the biggest thing for me. I was so thankful to the Lord. At the age of 12, God called me into full-time ministry. At the age of 27, I came into full-time. I waited 15 years to come into full-time. The day I stepped into full-time in Cornerstone, I was the happiest person. I was so thankful to the Lord. 22 years later, Lord, why you call me into full time? (laughs) 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 Something changed, right? And I want to encourage us because this is what this parable is about. The Pharisees came first. They had all the knowledge. They had all the training. But then now God is bringing in the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. And they're saying, they're going to get the same as us? No way. No way. And something in that has to be changed. Amen. And I want to bring this to us because I want to restore a thankfulness in our hearts. I want to restore a right perspective to every one of us of how generous God has been to us. Amen. Let us be reminded today of all that God has done for us, that we will never, ever become like the Pharisees. Amen. I want to close by, you know... um, bringing us into communion and partaking of communion. And this is Communion Weekend. And again, you know, I want to ask you to prepare the elements that has been given out to you. Um, If you haven't received it, just lift up your hands and, uh, you know, the ushers, the deacons will come by and they'll pass you a set of the communion elements. But let's prepare our hearts, amen. Let us remember that these elements represent the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus hung upon that cross, his body was smashed and completely torn for us. When he died, every single drop of his blood came out of that body of his, dripped on that ground, shed for us, so that we can have remission and forgiveness of sins. And I, I want to remind us that we would never lose the wonder of what God has done for us. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts and, you know, if, 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 if at all in our hearts, there is a sense of unfairness. If at all in our hearts, there's a sense of grumbling. Maybe some of us grumble about our position, our job school. Maybe some of us grumble about our Lord in life and <clears throat> we see others prosper and we are upset. Maybe there's some other things that we're grumbling about. If there is any grumbling at all, I want to ask you today, take that first step. Turn your eyes and put your gaze upon Jesus realize what a generous Saviour we have. Amen. Who didn't just give us everything, He gave Himself for us. Amen. And as we approach the Lord's table, may this mind be upon us. Father, we come to You, Lord. We thank You, Lord, for Your goodness to us, Lord. Father, when we look ourselves in the mirror, we know that we are not deserving. Father, we see our own flaws, we see the lack in our own lives. We see the unworthiness, O oh Lord. And we thank You that when You came for us, Lord, You did not consult our worthiness. You did not evaluate our worthiness to receive salvation. But You consulted only Your own majesty and Your charity and Your generosity and love towards us, Lord. And You love us with such an incredible love, Lord. Father, we ask you today as we come to your table, may you restore to us right perspective, Lord, to know that we are already standing in a place where we've got the best deal ever. There's no more place for grumbling. There's no more place for complaining. There's only place for joy and thankfulness, Lord, and a desire to return and to serve you and to give back to you as much as we can. So, Father, as we come to your table, we ask you, Lord, let these elements, Lord, so indelibly remind us of everything that Jesus has done for us. We ask this all in Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.